0: Executive producer, writer, and Lena Dunham's co showrunner, Jenny Connor, has been with HBO's Girls since its beginning, and now she's seeing it through to the end. Plus, Oscar Sunday is upon us. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Hi, I'm Christina Jörling Biro. Thanks for listening. So we are down to the wire. Oscar Sunday is around the corner, and here on Pop Culture Confidential, we're getting our last super insider tips for winning our Oscar pools. From senior editor at New York Magazine Vulture, Kyle Buchanan, he's had his eye on the race all season. But first... I have wanted to talk to this groundbreaking writer and showrunner since I started the show, so I'm really thrilled that this is happening. Jenny Connor got her start writing on Judd Apatow's Fox sitcom Undeclared. She ran several network shows and has also been a script doctor, with her speciality being to flesh out female characters. I'll ask her about that one later. Then she saw a movie that blew her mind, Tiny Furniture by actor-director Lena Dunham. Their agents got them together and some kind of magic happened. Jenny Connor would become writer, co-showrunner, and executive producer on a show that can only be described as groundbreaking, Girls. The HBO comedy about Hannah Horvath, played by Lena Dunham and a group of Brooklyn 2030-somethings, now in its fifth season. Love it or hate it, this show has been a force in the cultural dialogue. Award-winning and unapologetic look at women, relationships, sex, love, hate, friendship, all done with wit and intelligence, and not without controversy. The producers have announced that Season 6 will be its last, but we have a little bit of a way to go. Season 5 just aired its first show, with Marnie, played by Alison Williams, taking a big step into adulthood, marrying her boyfriend Desi, and with all the friends in attendance. Everywhere I go Yes, I am only 25 and a half years old. Me!
1: You know people say that you can't run
0: away from your problems? Well, I moved away from mine, and it worked, so people are so wrong. Why are you being so mean to me?
2: I'm always mean to you.
0: Yeah, but usually it's way nicer. I
1: have to go. Hannah's having a gay emergency with her gay dad.
0: Hey, hey, that's not how work works! You have to tell Hannah that she's been so inappropriate
1: all day. Wouldn't you rather do that? kind of just seems like something that you would like really enjoy doing. This is the day. The very least you could do right now is to pretend that I might be doing the right
0: thing. She's going to be married to someone she barely knows. You look so beautiful. My makeup is insane. It's not insane. Okay, if we just take it down a little Around the face. And just this year, Jenny Connor and Lena Dunham also started the Lenny Letter, a feminist pop cultural newsletter with personal texts by Dunham, Connor, and contributors such as Jennifer Lawrence talking about the pay gap for women, as well as interviews with Hillary Clinton, Gloria Steinem, for example. Lenny Letter has no comments section, and its mission is to make the world a safer place for women. Or in Connor and Dunham's own words, a snark-free place for feminists to get information on how to vote, eat, dress, fuck and live better. I'm really honored to talk to Jenny Connor. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled. Um, I just want to tell you
1: that my 11 year old daughter announced yesterday in the car on the way to school that if Donald Trump wins we're winning we're moving to Sweden. And I asked her why and she said, I've done some research. And everyone's happier there.
0: Okay. So. <laughs> well, she's welcome. I have a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, so we can all play. Oh, you do? <laughs> perfect. Perfect. No, I don't know what research she's talking about, but she thinks it's
1: the happiest country.
0: So. Oh, she does. Well, um, keep. I, I'd like to keep her hopes. It, it, we are very happy. It is a very hard, dark time of the year at the moment, but we're happy. <laughs> yeah. She's very impressed by the health care. I know that. Wow, what is this 11-year-old you have? I, she's crazy. She's
1: a <laughs> intense kid, and she's worried about Trump losing, so who can blame her? I mean, we're things.
0: Well, she's where a lot of us are. Yeah. So you say that this season, which is the fifth season, I read that you said that this is your favorite so far. And this year, the girls are finally going to get it together. And I I said, I have to watch because Jenny and Connor has the answers to getting it together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I said they were going to try to get it together. (laughs) I mean, it's girls, so nothing
1: ever works out as planned.
0: Um. And Girls, it's called a comedy, but the jokes don't really seem to be the thing. It's the observations. Now, when you're in the writer's room, are you going for comedy or are you going for theme? Or?
1: Um, you know, we, are, we go for all of it. We don't really go for theme. I would say we're not really looking for theme. The themes pop up later, sort of after the writing. But yes, we're definitely shooting for comedy. Always. We have a room full of comedy writers, and, and we're laughing all day and trying to figure out situations that are funny and trust that but you know most of the time if the stories are coming from a truthful place, not necessarily a true story, but just a truthful place and an honest place emotionally, then you can always find humor in that. I mm-hmm. mean, we have to. What other choice do we have?
0: This is the second to last season. The sixth season will be um, your final one you said. Why why are you wanna end it already? You're sort of at your peak. It just
1: feels, it feel, you know, the show is called Girls, not Women, and it just, we don't want to overstay our welcome. We feel like we know the ending, we're going to wrap it up, and it's really going to feel, we're just excited to sort of hit the end of it.
0: And do you have anything you can tell us that's going to happen?
1: Um, <laughs> uh, No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we have some great guest stars. We have Corey Stahl from House of uh, Cards, who's amazing. And he plays Elijah's love interest, and there's a beautiful Elijah romantic arc, and we get to see Andrew Rannells in a really different light and a really emotional light, which I love seeing because he's so talented in every other way, and it's great to see him do this as well. And um, we just have a lot of fun this year. I think, um, you know, aside from the guest stars, it's just... um, it's these girls and their friendships. Those are the primary love stories.
0: So. The casting in Girls is, has just always been perfection. Um, I know, of course, it's Lena and her story to begin with, but how did the other women come together?
1: Well, you know, we have the most incredible casting person in the world. Her name is Jennifer Houston. She also does um, Orange is the New Black and other shows. She's brilliant. And, I mean, we saw Adam Driver the first day of casting. You know, she truly, she truly, she sees every show, every showcase. She loves actors. You've never met anyone who loves actors more than this woman. She supports them wholeheartedly. She has her favorites. She has fantastic taste. And, you know, she'll, she'll, I, we just always know she's going to get the job done. I never get scared no matter how close, if it's the day before shooting, the day before a table read, I know she'll find the right person.
0: And was she the one that found Allison Williams and the other, the other women?
1: Allison actually came through Judd. Judd had seen a video of her, this video that kind of went viral of her singing the Mad Men theme, and he loved her and said, <laughs> um, he said, uh, uh, we have to see her. And um, so that's how Allison came to us. And Jemima, of course, is an old friend of Lena's from high school.
0: Can we go back a bit, Miss Connor? Can you remember from the very beginning of Girls a moment on the show um, or a plotline that caused so much chatter or controversy or love that you understood, like, wow, we've really pierced the zeitgeist here. We've we have something. You know, I'm always really, really surprised at the things that
1: people talk about. Actually, um, I, I can never tell. Ta- like, we certainly never have been in the room and thought, oh, well, this is gonna blow the world open. Um, I'm always kind of shocked by what the things actually are. Um, so, no, I mean, I can't really point to one thing. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think it's interesting that episode we did with Shirley Appleby where um, she crawls across the floor with Adam and that turned into a big conversation about consent. And that was really mm-hmm. interesting to me because I had no idea, truthfully, that that would that would have come up. And, and when we wrote it, we certainly didn't even explore it as an idea of lack of consent. That it would be rape? It was a gray area, for sure. And watching it, it was just an interesting thing that I didn't expect people to latch on to. And so that was, you know, anything that starts dialogue, we feel really lucky.
0: Um, you started working with the great Judd Apatow, your own career. Yeah. Um, could you say a few things that he taught you? Oh, he taught me? really everything, Um, and then he ruined me for
1: other shows, (laughs) so it was my first job, and um, I was a staff writer on Undeclared, and when your job, the way you run a show is you have your staff writers in every part of their episode, so they're in the room for their episode, they go off and write their episode, then they're on the stage for their episode with supervision of a higher level producer, but still they're the ones managing their episode. And then they're in casting, and they're in editing. And, you know, I was a staff writer, which is the lowest position, and I was in casting, helping to cast the pilot of that show. And that's just really unusual, but I didn't know it at the time because it was my first TV job. So I thought all television was like that. And when Undeclared got canceled and I had to find another job, I was very disappointed (laughs) in the way the TV system worked. But I knew that when I had my own show, I would run it the way Judd did, which I always have. And now I get to run it the way Judd did with Judd, which <laughs> is a
0: dream. So you do that now. You It's more inclusive um, for everyone in the room. Yeah, I mean, that's the only way people can learn to actually produce themselves. And and early on after the judge, you were also a script doctor. And I understand that your um, specialty was punching up female characters. Now, what does that mean? Okay, so what happened was a lot of times with these movies, comedies and
1: uh, action movies, it's not really, I would not say it's anyone's fault, but I would say the women wind up being sort of the least fleshed out characters um, by the time the movie starts in terms of script. They've worked a lot on story and other things, but they haven't really worked that much on the female character in a script. And so I would be brought in sort of at the final hour to help the female character. And do rewrites and even some of the movies that had started shooting and I would come in and help. And it was um, very interesting and I got to be on sets I never would have been on otherwise, like Transformers 3, which was a really fun Mm -hmm. and exciting and different world for me.
0: But is it like the screenwriters and the people around that show were like, They have no idea what what to do with the women?
1: (laughs) No, no. It's just, it's literally, that's what I thought it was going to be, but it actually just tends to be people running out of time. Okay. And so, you know, in the subject of Transformers, for example, I worked closely with the writer, and he was just working on other stuff that i couldn't work on like robots
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> and i was
1: working in tandem with him on the female part
0: okay but he could put some time on the female part not just on the robots <laughs> he
1: could but he just ran out of time truthfully and i do feel like that's the case with a lot of i mean i in the in on the ones i've worked on it has just been at sort of the final hour people saying, you know, this woman could be a more fully fleshed out character.
0: So at least everyone's trying. Right. And it was dialogue and things like that? Yeah. How would you describe your friendship with Lena? Um, well, she's, you know, my closest friend.
1: We text about 800 times a day <laughs> when we're not at, even when we're in the same room. Sometimes we're on the same conference calls. And, you know, creatively, we really get along and we have just a great time together, and. We like to do the same thing, which is sort of a lot of times it's sitting in bed and eating good food and writing.
0: You're, you're a little bit older than she I mean, you and I, I think, are the I'm same age. I'm a lot older <laughs> than
1: she is, yeah. But she's wise beyond her years, and I'm probably a little dumb for my years. <laughs> oh, I don't so we it. meet somewhere in the middle.
0: A while back, Girls was criticized for, for a lack of diversity, but you were one of the few showrunners and teams that seemed to not be defensive about the criticism. You sort of welcomed the controversy. Was this an aha moment for you? And how have you changed? Absolutely. It,
1: it absolutely was. And the criticism that came out that was thoughtful about it really affected us and has informed a lot of moves that we've made since. Um, I, you know, Judd has always said a good idea can come from anywhere and it's really just been my ethos since I met him. And, and we don't, you know, take story ideas generally from people but who don't work on the show, but but we do listen to criticism about our cultural significance, absolutely.
0: And what are some of the things you've done to change this? Well, we've just tried to include much more diversity
1: and um, when we were forming... Our new business, Lenny, which is our newsletter, um, our feminist newsletter, we made a point, a very specific point to have a very diverse staff and to have very diverse content. And that has been something that we started out with from the get-go, which was not necessarily a priority for us. Our priority for us when we started Girls was to tell Lena's story. And a priority for us now, as we're trying to now go into politics and Feminism is to actually represent a little bit of what the actual world looks like. And so we've made it a huge priority for us in that.
0: And you don't shy away from things that polarize, which I find so refreshing. Um, this week, um, Lena shows support for Kesha and her legal battle. You've written an open letter to Trump and, and several of women's issues. Um, do you experience backlash at all? You know, one of the things that we did when we founded Lenny, our newsletter, is that um,
1: we... Created it. It's in a newsletter format, and there's no comment,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and so it's very hard for us to see backlash on that, which is great. And the truth is, we don't care. Like the Kesha, the Kesha story is so clear. There's no shade of gray. It's so awful, and anything we can do to bring light to it, we will.
0: Will you explain that? And and if um, in case any of the listeners haven't understood the Kesha story.
1: Well, what's happening with Kesha is that a judge has ruled, a female judge has ruled that she has to continue working with a producer who she claims has um, sexually assaulted her and finish out her contract with Sony. And um, that's really the, the long and short of it. And, and, you know, it's just
0: been, it just seems outrageous. um, Which may, of course, make other women afraid to come out um, if they experience anything. Yes, I mean, right?
1: If Esther can't get heard in the proper way and win that suit, then what does it mean for someone who's not famous? It's terrifying, and I'm hoping that the voices become so loud that Sony has to address it in some way.
0: And what are you and Lena going to do after
1: you know, we're trying to figure that out right now. We're in an overall deal with HBO, and we're developing a bunch of things for them. And we made a documentary this year that airs in June on HBO, though I'm not sure in Sweden when it airs, but it's called Suited, and it's about tailors, bespoke tailors, who make suits for transgender people. And it's a really great, moving, really optimistic documentary, and it's a great way into trans lives through fashion and um so we made that with our boom operator who's of our show, who's the sound guy who um, came to us with the idea. His name is Jason Benjamin, and he directed it. And mm-hmm. so we want to continue to make documentaries and maybe go into features. We're sort of trying to figure it out, but also trying to take our time a little bit.
0: And what about Lending Letter? Uh, are you going to expand that in any way?
1: Well, we... I mean, that's our favorite thing ever. And the reason we made it a newsletter, one of the reasons was because it was something we could manage. Just So, you know, today we, just have, we have an editorial meeting every Wednesday morning. We're very involved. We read every single thing. We reach out to people. We have a really incredible staff, but it's something we love to do. So we'll be growing Lenny in the future, too.
0: When you're going to look back at Girls and what you did, can you yourself see the impact that you had? Not yet, but
1: hopefully I will and hopefully my daughter will and you know young women will I mean I, I see the impact that Lena's had I, see, I can see the impact that her book has and her persona has on people in the world so I mean you know I'm looking forward to that I'm looking forward to looking back on girls but I'm not ready quite yet
0: okay well thank you so much Miss Connor this was great and good luck with the rest of both seasons thank you It was so nice to talk to you Thank you so much, Jenny Connor. So Oscar Sunday is coming up in just a few days. Now, I've had an Oscar viewing party for a couple decades now, but I don't think I've ever seen a more unpredictable race. I am still up in the air with my ballot. The Revenant, Spotlight and Big Short, splitting a whole bunch of wins at the different Guild Awards. It seems almost impossible to call. So for our last pro help here on the show this Oscar season, insider tips for winning your Oscar pool, I'm really, really happy to have Kyle Buchanan, senior editor of New York magazine Vulture, with me. He has spent months covering everything leading up to the Academy Awards. Kyle, welcome to the show.:
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So in order to win the uh, Oscar pool, I' say on Sunday, there's one thing you really have to understand, um, and that's how the preferential ballot voting system that the academy has. Now, how does that work?
2: yeah uh so essentially, what this does is it favors a consensus pick, so you not only want to get those number one votes, you want to get the number two votes, which ostensibly would help a movie like Spotlight, one that everybody seems to like
0: so it means that the academy are is putting their picks for best picture in order if as I get that correct
2: yeah it's it's sort of a confusing process, but it ultimately it involves you know uh a certain amount of movies get put in a pile if they've got number one votes. And if you clear that threshold, then it comes down to the number two votes, which are now counted as number one votes. Uh, and so what that's meant to do is create an environment where uh, movies that everybody likes can triumph uh, instead of very polarizing ones that might have you know, a lot of people who are willing to put it down for their number one picks, but not really a, bar- a broad base of support that will put it down for number two.
0: So what you're saying is that number two is actually the likely winner then.
2: Well, it can be seen that way, but then again, passion counts for something. You know, last year, I, I think a lot of pundits were sort of sleeping on the movie Birdman until it started triumphing at PGA and the guilds because we thought that movie was too polarizing to get those number two votes. What we didn't realize is that Boyhood, while it was well-liked, didn't have the same enthusiasm, didn't inspire the same passion that Birdman did. So I think Birdman got enough number 1 votes that it almost didn't matter. And that's what I what makes me wonder this year, Christina, because boy, you could make a number 1 number 2 case uh for and against any of the three uh top contenders you named. And I go back and forth. I'm I'm curious to see if even having this conversation is going to make me realize <laughs> what I think is going to be the eventual best picture winner because from hour to hour, I I, I come up with a new idea.
0: But I keep you thinking like a movie like The Revenant, either it seemed, I mean, maybe wrong, but either you love it or you don't like it all that much. So either yeah. you're putting it at number one, or you're putting it like at number five or something for, oh, this was a magnificently beautiful picture or something. But
2: if enough people put it at number one, that's what's going to matter. And I, you know, I think a precedent was set for that last year with another Alejandro Gonzalez in your directed movie Birdman. So that's the sort of thing where it's like, yes, The Revenant is divisive.
0: But there, doesn't, there just seems to be more people that would actually like Spotlight and Big Short and not hate it as much as you would The Revenant. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. <laughs> if you do. No, I know exactly what you mean. So what do you think? Let me put this to you. <laughs> what do you think can win Best Picture? And has that pick changed over the last few weeks?
0: Well, I actually I I really thought Spotlight and and if I'm going to um divulge, I would love Spotlight to win. I think sure. it's an important, beautifully simple movie um which is very important. But and uh, but I think The Revenant will win just because it's majestic and I think right. people like that. But I don't know, I want to win the pool.
2: <laughs> I know so do I. <laughs> and I want to help other people and win. And what do it. you yeah. think? Well, you know, let me go through the case for and against the top three movies, Um, and and maybe we'll be able to figure it out by the end. I think what Spotlight has going for it is it's about social issues, which is important to the Academy. They like to feel like their vote is going to something that's worthy, that matters, that can change things. It's literally a movie about people who changed things. Um, And I think it came on very early in the season, which is good. It had time to establish itself came out of the fall festivals and did quite well. Um, What's working against Spotlight are a few things. One is that it's a very modest movie. Like you said, it's simple. And I think that up against flashier contenders like The Big Short, which is a sort of similar movie about social issues but flashier, and The Revenant, which could not possibly be more (laughs) eye-popping, it could falter, you know? It won... The SAG award, but that's the least predictive of the major guilds when it comes to what will actually win Best Picture. So that worries me. The other thing that worries me if I was Team Spotlight would be that for a movie to win Best Picture, it really needs to win at least two other Oscars. Movies have won with one other Oscar. Hell, they've even won with no other Oscars. But it's been ages since. Grand Hotel won with no other Oscars, but Best Picture... The last movie to win with only one other Oscar besides Best Picture was The Greatest Show on Earth. So it's been decades and decades since. And when you look at Spotlight's chances, the only other Oscar I think it's really going to take is screenplay. There aren't a lot of good arguments to make in the other categories. Maybe Mark Ruffalo can pull out a surprise win. And Best Supporting Actor, I think that would be the shocker of the Doubtful. Night.
0: With Doubtful. Stallone. And yeah. <laughs> so
2: when you look at that, when you say, when you say, okay, Spotlight, if it's going to win Best Picture, it's probably only going to win two Oscars, that's unlikely. That doesn't happen very often. And that indicates maybe not a very large base of support. So that's Spotlight. Big Short, you know, same things I said about Spotlight, which the social issues, the relevancy, what it has that spotlight doesn't is more of a shot in other categories. I think it's almost even money in best editing, whether that could go to uh, the big short or Mad Max Fury road um, they are both extremely attention getting in the way that they're cut um you know, and I just think the big short has maybe more of a shot at establishing that sort of base of at least three wins um and also we should note as i'm sure you're well aware it won the pga award which has had which also uses a preferential ballot the producers guild uh where it was up against most of the movies that it's up against now uh in the best picture race and ever since the academy expanded its best picture field the pga has you know matched it every single time so that is a really hard stat to argue against
0: so that's a, that's ahead of spotlight already there
2: i mean it sounds that way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so hard to say i think the thing with the big short the worry that the big short team has is that it peaked too early that it had that huge jolt when it won the pga which seemed to surprise even uh the Them. producers <laughs> and then since then well i'm not going to say crickets But it didn't pick up any of the other things. It could have easily won the SAG, and it didn't. It didn't win DGA. BAFTA, you know, it was fine, but it keeps just picking up screenplay awards. So it it needed one other jolt to happen to make it feel like the, you know, the front runner, and it never came. And then you've got The Revenant. The proper thing to do would be to
0: finish him off quick. He's to be cared for as long as necessary. I
1: understand. Get away! Help.
0: What happened? We did what we had to do. He was buried right. All I had was my boy, and he took him from me. You understand?
1: knows how far i came to find them
2: i ain't afraid to die anymore i've done it already what does the revenant have going for it a couple things it's late breaking uh so i feel like it's got momentum happening now uh, that the other two movies don't it made a lot more money than those it has guaranteed wins it has You know, we were talking about how Big Short and Spotlight are going to struggle to even get, you know, more than one other win if they want to get Best Picture. Revenant's got tons that it can win. We know it's going to win Leonardo DiCaprio for Best Actor. We know that Emmanuel Lubezki is going to win Cinematography. Revenant could also take home both Sound Awards. It could take home visual effects. It's probably going to win best director.
0: Do they want to give it? I mean, Inarito won already last year. No, twice in two years. You still think that that's they're okay with that?
2: Well, so you're pointing out the <laughs> the con side of this argument for the Revenant, which is there's a lot of statistical history going against the Revenant winning. One, you know, the fact that Inarito would direct or would win back-to-back Best Director uh, Oscars, that almost never happens. What has never happened is the same director directing two Best Picture winners back-to-back. That would be unprecedented. That would put him in the pantheon. (laughs) And I don't know that uh, the Academy, which often likes to spread the wealth, would go there that fast. I think the other two things that are sort of working statistically against The Revenant are... Uh, it didn't get a screenplay nomination. Again, very hard to win Best Picture without that. Uh, last one to do it was Titanic, um, and it didn't get a SAG nomination for its outstanding cast. Last movie to win Best Picture without that was Braveheart. So these are we're working. You know, uh, we're working using uh, movies that came out quite a long time ago to provide a comparable case to The Revenant. Um, it would be unprecedented. In lots of ways, if it wins. However, when I name all those Oscars that it's almost certain to win, boy, doesn't that seem like I'm making it the case for it?
0: <laughs> so if you would have to put it down today, would you do Revenant?
2: You know, listen, I'll say this. I really liked The Revenant, actually. Do I prefer Spotlight? Yes. Um Would I rather see Spotlight win? Yes. So what I usually do if it's a race that comes down to where I could go fifty-fifty, uh, either way, either thing could win, um, I will usually vote for the one that if, if there's one that I would like to see win more, I won't vote for it in my Oscar pool. Right. I'll vote for the <laughs> so that way, no matter what happens, I'm satisfied. Now, to an extent, I can do that this year, you know while I prefer spotlight I can put down the revenant but then there's the big short too mm. so who knows <laughs> I feel like in talking to you the safest money would be to put it on the revenant but then you know there are all those things all those uh historical precedents that would caution against it so I don't know it's like it's exactly like you said when we started. Like this is the wildest, craziest best picture race I can remember.
0: And I mean, there's literally no chance of Room or anything else getting in there, right?
2: I just don't see Room. Uh, <laughs> no pun intended. I just don't see room for it. Um, you know, it was it was astounding that Room got that uh, director nomination. Uh, well deserved for Lenny Abrahamson, but not one that a lot of people were expecting. And he got that over. You know, Steven Spielberg over Ridley Scott, um, I don't think that those other movies have a shot. Much as I would like to see, say, Mad Max Fury Road win Best Picture, that was my favorite movie of last year, I don't think it's got a shot. Um, I think that its biggest shot, uh, while it will win some of the below-the-line uh, things it's nominated for, Its biggest shot was George Miller and Best Director, and the fact that Iñárritu took that makes me, yeah, at the DGA, makes me think that Miller doesn't have a very good shot. You know, when there is a Best Director, Best Picture split, it tends to favor the director who directed the most technically arduous movie. Uh, And while I thought that was uh, George Miller, um, I think that people feel, especially because of DiCaprio's narrative, that that movie was so hard to make that it was actually in Eurizio and he's benefiting from that.
0: Well, it's just just the bear, right? The bear is confusing everyone. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Listen, that bear might even win them a visual effects uh, Oscar, which is uh, really notable considering how effects-soaked the other movies are.
0: yeah compared to mad max and star i mean star wars is a little cgi heavy but mad max the fact that people are saying the revenant might take visual effects is quite surprising yeah i mean even though the bear is great it, it's <laughs> you
2: know we we're talking about the three-way race and best picture and i'm just as intrigued by the three-way race in visual effects because there you've got a movie like star wars where it's filled with visual effects i mean uh, while the director, J.J. Abrams, has been talking about how he wanted to return to sort of the more practical effects of the first movie, like Let's Not mince Words, so many of those locations, so many of those effects, literally two of the important supporting characters are created in a computer. Um, so it is it has the most effects. Then you have Mad Max, which while it does have its fair share of visual imaging, you wouldn't know it to look at it. That was one of the most galvanizing things about that movie is that it looked like everything really happened. It had a physical reality to it that was incredible that people responded to. And that might be the thing that pushes it over the top. And then you've got The Revenant. Out of those three movies, Star Wars isn't going to win Best Picture because it's not nominated. <laughs> Mad Max probably won't. Revenant very well could. When a movie that is you know, contending for Best Picture is in a category like that, it gives its nomination some additional heft, some weight. And that bear attack was, you know, one of the gripping sequences of last year. That is what will be at the forefront of people's minds, although there are, you know, computer-generated embellishments to the rest of the movie. You know, flaming arrows were not shot into people for real, that was the computer. And there are touch-ups here and there, but uh, yeah, so I don't know.
0: Well, I have a feeling that it could all of a sudden be a whole bunch of stuff to Mad Max, including to George Miller's wife who's did the editing i'm kind of thinking it's a good narrative of that
2: i know i like that too and you know uh, george miller is revered uh, especially amongst his fellow directors who think he's incredible not incredible enough i guess to give him the dga award but i was heartened that at the recent oscar nominees luncheon his name got practically the most applause out of out of anyone and people were lining up to meet him maybe that's in part because he's in australia and not so available, but. He's just such a warm, wonderful man. He's created something that I think is going to be an action high watermark for decades to come. Uh, and I do think that it's got a good shot of winning several Oscars. You know, I think that uh, hair and makeup, costumes, uh, things of that nature, are, it has a very good shot at. It's possible that it could win the Sound Design Awards, even though Revenant seems to be coming on strong uh, for that sort of thing. So we'll see. And, and like you said, uh, best editing. So we'll see.
0: Well, I have a few actor predictions left, but I'm going to save those to the end. I just have a question about campaigning. Um, uh, you hear a lot of people saying Leo is doing such a great job campaigning. What does that mean?
2: In Leo's case, in addition to the campaign, it helps that no other best actor candidate really took off. As soon as Steve Jobs tanked at the box office and its Oscar prospects started to dwindle, Michael Fassbender was out of the way and then basically cleared a path for Leo. Um, It helps that in Leo's case, he is now in his 40s, which is a sweet spot for Academy Voters. He is in a movie that might win Best Picture. All of those things are going for it. But as far as the campaign goes, Leo has shown up to all the Q&As. He's given interviews. He's been polite and dutiful. And to a certain extent, voters want to see that. They want to know that you want it. You have to hit you know, this very sort of specific sweet spot of wanting it, but not too much. And I know that there is a media narrative that Leo is really thirsty for that Oscar, but in person, he's so polite and reserved and well-spoken about it. He's just doing exactly what he needs to. He's shaking hands. He's hugging people. He's, you know, doing that sort of politician's walk and he has not misstepped. And I, I just, I think it's, as smooth a sale to Oscar as we'll have this year.
0: How much money can there be in a campaign?
2: Oh, a lot. Not only money, but more time than was spent actually shooting the film. That's what's interesting to me. You know, a lot of these small movies like Spotlight and Room, uh, oftentimes the stars will be campaigning or the producers or whoever will be out there for much, much longer than it took to actually make the movie. And sometimes they'll spend more money on the movie. And I think that was the case in Spotlight. Promoting it and doing an awards campaign and taking out ads and flying out, you know, stars and their uh, stylists and their families to these award shows. And then we're spent on the movie.
0: Because it's so important. Does it actually be so if wins at the Oscars or nominations or at the Guild, does that actually that really translates to eyeballs?
2: Well, It's not just the win, it's the nomination and the contention. Yes, the win is great. Uh, Obviously, a lot of people in Hollywood want to win an Oscar for all sorts of reasons. Validation, uh, you know, paycheck bump, uh, the sense of competition, whatever. But I do think that, you know, say what you will about the Oscars, and there's plenty to say, uh, positive and negative. But I think one of the positives is that because of the Oscars, you have a movie like Spotlight, a little movie, not a blockbuster by any means, That people have kept talking about for months, that will ensure this season will ensure that people see Spotlight and that they'll remember Spotlight because it's been in contention. It didn't come out and then fade away. And I think that in today's superhero soaked uh, film climate, it's important to have um, uh, the system that recognizes a lot of those smaller films. It's an imperfect system doesn't always recognize the best films. And sometimes the best films don't win. But the fact that they're in the conversation, I think is helpful to the state of cinema.
0: So say what you will about, you know, making fun of the Oscars or whatever. I mean, there is some importance. Yes, and feel to- free.
2: There's so much to make fun of.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun. But I mean, there is some importance for it. Oh,
2: yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I bet you and I are sort of of similar minds. You know, we are sort of intrigued and interested uh in oscar history and all these precedents and the season but at the same time we know that we can't take it too seriously that all sorts of things can happen you know the academy's made up of several thousand interesting funny talented weird outmoded new old white guys yeah well (laughs) done. Uh, so they'll make mistakes like they did this year, um, I think, with, um, with Oscars So White. And they'll try to remedy those things. Um, so yeah, there's, there's lots that you can say. I see people sometimes you know, use a cudgel against the Oscars. They just say, no film fan would really care about this. But I think if you care about film... You love the opportunity to talk about these movies, and the Oscars provide that framework.
0: There's some new rules for the stars themselves, the winners, about the speeches. What is that?
2: Yeah, we'll see how this plays out. One of the other unpredictable elements of this year's Oscar season is that the Academy is beseeching the nominees to not do what they usually do, which is rattle off a list of their agents, their publicists, people that the home audience has never heard of, and essentially use their entire speech to deliver this sort of like impersonal list. What they're hoping the nominees will do, and I'm curious to see if they'll actually conform to this, is they're hoping the nominees will send in a list of those people in advance, and they will scroll that list underneath them while they give their speech. Uh, I uh, get that notion in theory. To me, it's sort of unclassy. I, I think what the... What the Academy is hoping is that that will then free up the winners to say something that's quite emotional and personal. But it's also a little tacky, don't you think? Yeah, it seems. For the winner to be having this emotional personal moment while a list of their agents scrolls underneath them.
0: And it's also very clear who's like, you're on the scroll and you're, I'm actually saying your name.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, there's that too. And if, you know, some of the early winners start their agents well i think i think uh, leo will have to oh, and i of think J. Larson will have to but you know? so we'll see
0: but this is voluntary then
2: i guess it is uh you know i mean if you don't send in any names there won't be a scroll i'm curious to see who will actually do it uh i talked to some of the nominees last month and some of them knew about it and some had no idea they hadn't read the packet i guess that the academy sends uh But they were pushing that notion hard at the recent nominees' lunch, and In fact, they were saying it would be even better for your agents if they were on the scroll because you can take a still frame of that moment where your agent's name is there and you're catching this Oscar and you can frame it and send it to him. So we'll see. (laughs) A
0: little gifty. Yeah.
2: There are so many elements that are up in the air going into this year's Oscar cast. Not just these races and who will win, but how they'll win how they'll make their speeches and what Chris Rock will say about it all. You know, he's practically the only person who's barely touched the Oscar. So white controversy he has been holding his powder, I think until the Oscars themselves. So this is going to be one to watch. For right. Sure. This
0: is exciting. But yeah. okay. Lastly, let's run through what you think about the actors categories. So supporting actor, what do you think?
2: I think it's Stallone. Um I was just writing about this in fact. I do think it's Stallone Uh the only thing that gives me pause is the Screen Actors Guild did not nominate him, which is rare. It's rare that the eventual Oscar eventual Oscar winner was not nominated by his own guild. It happens. It happened with Christoph Waltz, who won uh and was not nominated for um uh Django Unchained. But that movie screened very late, whereas Creed, you know, had already made almost 70 million at the box office by the time the SAG nominations were announced. So that concerns me, because I've heard from people, you know, not he's not the most beloved figure. Obviously, a lot of people have a very strong association with Sylvester Stallone, and he's terrific in the movie. This picture's from the
1: 10th round of the first fight, right? I heard about a third fight between you and Apollo, behind closed doors. Is that true? How do you know all this?
0: I'm a son. A great fighter once said, it ain't about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward.
1: See this guy here? That's the toughest opponent you're ever going to have to face. I believe that's true in the ring, and I think that's true in life. They show me something.
2: But you know, over a long career, uh, some of it misspent. There's bound to be people who just aren't rooting for him, and I've heard from some of those people.
0: Is Rylance the one, the second? No, I no? don't
2: think so. No, I don't think so. I think Mark Rylance is overrated by uh, the New York and London audiences who know him as an acclaimed theater actor. Um, Because I think that movie has basically retreated from view. I think that if there are two dark horses, it's Christian Bale, who actors revere, who is in a movie that could win Best Picture, and it's Mark Ruffalo, who actors love, who's also in a movie that could win Best Picture. Ruffalo in particular is interesting to watch because he's the only sort of cuddly presence in that category, which is filled with sort of remote character actors and troubled manly men. And I think you can't underrate how much when a voter is voting? How much they're voting for the person that they want to see up there, graciously accepting award, an award and smiling. You know that that's important. That makes me think of when Burt Reynolds was tipped to win and lost to Robin Williams. You know, like this career comeback narrative faltered in the in the uh, late going, and right. they just gave it to someone who they liked.
0: Right, right. You know, what about actress supporting?
2: That one, I feel like it's Alicia. I feel like it's Alicia Vikander, the Danish girl. It seems like it's all been uh, happening for her. Um, she won the SAG Award, which is really uh, notable. Um, yes, Kate Winslet won the Golden Globe, but Golden Globe overlap and the Ac- with the Academy is literally contained to one person. There's only one person who votes for both. Uh, and yes, uh, Kate Winslet won the BAFTA, but there, Alicia Vikander wasn't competing uh, in that category with her Danish co-performance. So while Kate Winslet is like, you know, she's up there, I would put, if I had to pick a second person in that category, I'd pick her. I think it's Alicia's Toulouse. The Academy loves an ingenue. She had a fantastic year, a real breakthrough year. Uh, including her performance in ex machina and other movies and i think that's essentially the thing that's going to clinch it for her
0: yeah well we're happy about that in sweden
2: (laughs) yeah she's been having a great award season she's been learning a lot and she's been getting to meet a lot of uh great people in hollywood and i think been having a good time Mm
0: -hmm. and and best actors seem locked to leo and brie larson
2: yes i agree yes uh I mean, Leo, for all the reasons we said. Uh, and Brie Larson, it just seemed to happen for her. Um, it helped that two uh, other ingenues who were potentially in contention for Best Actress, uh, which are Alicia Vikander and Rooney Mara and Carol, uh, ended up in the supporting actress category where they wanted to be. I think that's category fraud. I think they should have been in Best Actress. But once they weren't, that freed up room for Brie Larson. Um, well, you know, I you think she's at,
0: spectacular in that. I mean, I mean,
2: you look at her competition, there's Kate Blanchett and Carol, which I don't know that Carol's going to win anything. And I think that Kate won so recently that she's just not at the forefront of voters' minds. You have Jennifer Lawrence and Joy. Uh, that's the only nomination Joy got. It's not going to happen. You have Charlotte Rampling in 45 years. Phenomenal performance, but she sort of shot herself in the foot with the comments she made earlier this season on Oscar So White. And then you have Sir Ronan in Brooklyn. A really good performance. There are people who really love that movie. I think that's a contender. But I think that if it's a battle of the ingenues, it's Bray.
0: Kyle, this was so much fun. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm going to hold you to this and, and see what happens on Sunday and tweet to you on me Monday. Don't hold to it because
2: I could <laughs> change my mind. That's okay. the thing. I'm trying to give my best advice. But even as I say it to you, I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I'm convincing myself of something new. It's just a a wild and woolly year like that.
0: Well, thank you so much. I'll tweet you on Monday and see what happens.
2: (laughs) Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much to Jenny Connor. Girls Season 5 is on HBO, HBO Nordic right now. And you can subscribe to Lenny Letter on lennyletter.com. And thank you so much to Kyle Buchanan, Senior Editor, New York Magazine, Vulture. And you can read him there, but also hear him on the podcast, The Award Show Show from The Vulture and The Frame. Let us know your predictions on at pod pop Culture on Twitter or go to the homepage, popcultureconfidential.com. And we're on Facebook and Instagram and everywhere. This show was edited by Tom Hansen, music by Carl Boy, produced by Rene Wittstedt and myself. I'm Christina Jörling-Biro. Thank you so much.
2: You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story.